Hello, and welcome to Bright Lights, Big Data, a podcast about people, places, and data. I'm your host, Tammy Armstrong. And I'm your co-host, Mike Armstrong. And we are here today with Jessica Avant from the Des Moines Parks and Rec Board. Uh, She's also involved in a ton of other things in the community, and she is also a 2018 NLC Fellow with myself, which is how we met. Um, But today we're here to focus really on her work with um, the Parks and Rec Board. This is one of those parts of government that people aren't really necessarily aware of. So we're really excited to hear her responses to our interview questions. So welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Um, To kick things off, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got here? Well, I'm originally from California, and I came here against my will as a minor through my mom, because she was born here. But I stayed here because I kind of just fell in love with the place. My mom since moved to Atlanta. (laughs) (laughs) She jumped ship once she just, the winner. But... Um, but I joined the Parks and Rec Board for the City of Des Moines in 2017, August, and I took over for another NLC uh, fellow, Chelsea Lepley. I was just interested in getting involved with, like, more local government. I didn't know how. I was just kind of more focusing on helping with city council races and school board races. Um, Because I primarily, you know, assist with campaigns and stuff. I just was excited to be a part of a board and assist the city any way I can. You never know where you're going to be useful. I don't have a green thumb, so (laughs) it was kind of a shock that I would go for a Parks and Rec board. I have a green heart. I have a green thumb. (laughs) I like that. And when I tell you that I'm going to start a community garden, please know that I probably... (laughs) won't work in it for the safety of the plants. <laughs> um, when I joined Parks and Rec Board, I was like, ooh, parks. Yay. <laughs> I love the park. I love swings. I love walking around Gray's Lake. But then I realized there was so much more that the Parks and Rec Board was over. You know, we're over all the all the city parks. We're over the cemeteries. Uh, all the aquatic centers. The public golf courses. And then, of course, we help with all the recreational activities the city puts on, like mm-hmm. softball and all the little football leagues. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, I get to get to do some some awesome stuff everywhere. And uh, we also help with uh, quite a bit of conservation efforts to make the world a better place one plant at a time. Nice. <laughs> I like that. There's a couple other things, such as, uh, you know what a watershed was. Um, those essentially kind of are the little waterways that lead from the, the big waterways. If I'm condensing that down, I, <laughs> people who've been on there are so much better explaining this. So I got to explain it in my layman's terms. We will buy a property along those ways so we can deal with the flooding that happens there. Without maintaining, for example, Birdland, that place floods. Mm-hmm. This is one of those things you can set your watch to. That won't be under control if the parks and rec system don't do that. And if there's something that you want to see there in a park, you can go to the park and rec board and say, you know, this is something I would like to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I just saw that we had installed a ADA accessible lift 
for the pools. So if you are disabled this way, you don't have to try to, you know, lift yourself out of your chair into the water. There's something that's there for you. That's really cool. And I was like, it's those little things you don't really think about. But I find that once we have an idea and we know that we can feasibly work on it, then we can pass that on to the city council and, and they'll approve that as well making sure that for example the golf courses are affordable for people and the and the aquatic centers are affordable hmm. and we look at the budgets for those and, and things like that and the pricing and making sure that the trails are maintained so it's a little it's little things like that you just you would think these things just appear but no there are people that do these things <laughs> just like little little nymphs <laughs> 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 I, I love that. I mean, that's that's so much of what we want to get into with our show is understanding the, the stuff that people don't think about and what makes a city really work. What was sort of the process for getting on the board? I'll never forget it. So <laughs> um, Chelsea resigned. She let um, both the mayor and the council person who at the time was Skip Moore know that she was resigning and that, you know, she was suggesting me. And... For the longest time, I did not know whether or not I had gotten on it because even if nobody goes for your spot, they can still deny it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. <laughs> and so, you know, I was waiting weeks and and I was at a fundraiser and I hadn't actually met Skip Moore at the time, like in person. He was talking to people and he introduced himself to me and he was like, I recognize that name. And I was like, oh, why? <laughs> you never know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. So, <laughs> and so he was like, I just appointed you to the Parks and Rec board. I just flew over the moon. So I was appointed uh, by my then city council person, Skip Moore, and it was pretty awesome. Uh, our next question. What are some common misconceptions about your work? I think the common misconception is that employees handle everything Mm -hmm. for the parks and rec system. We went on a parks and rec tour just yesterday and uh, we didn't go to every park because there's 75. (laughs) Uh, But we did go to uh, the Laurel Hill greenhouse and that greenhouse has one and a quarter employees. But everything else is hundreds of volunteers that keep the plants together. And then those plants are planted in all these different communities. So when you're seeing all this lovely foliage, that is going to make me sneeze. (laughs) It is all due to volunteers. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't know that the parks and rec system is more than parks. Because I was one of those people, and I was like, We forget about the and rec. Right. (laughs) We forget about the recreational part. But I think we also forget that the parks are not just places for people. They're also places for animals Hmm. and wild, you know, other kinds of wildlife and other kinds of plant life. And so some of the parks, some of the areas of the parks that we do work on are places that we never intend for people to step into, you know, so moving soil from one park to another we dug this out for this playground but we purposefully moved the soil so we could start a prairie over here because there's so much nutrients or we're grading the lake so we can 
compensate for soil erosion so more plant life can grow on the side and kind of manage some of those conservation efforts it's planting uh, native plants so we can get more native species back you know like different kinds of butterflies and, mm-hmm. and things like that and so I think a lot of people don't realize that I can see your green heart coming through the smile <laughs> when you said the word butterfly <laughs> aren't they just the best best non-biting bugs <laughs> we've already covered this but you know to put it back out there uh, why should the community care about what you do it's more important than you realize. It would. It's one of those things that you wouldn't realize how important it was until it was gone. Mm. A park is a place where people cohabitate. There's lots of festivals and events that go on in the parks. You know, you look at Grace Lake. Mm-hmm. They show movies there. People exercise there. I mean, we're... Where would we pretend to walk if we didn't walk around? <laughs> and, you know, then that's the only place I know where you can you know, do kind of like watercrafts. Mm-hmm. Not saying that there's no other place. I'm saying this is the only place that I know. In the city limits. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know if there's... You know, and it's it's good for property values. So mm-hmm. when a park is near a home and it's well maintained, it drives the property values for all the homes in that area up and when a park is not maintained very well they go down Mm -hmm. and not only that but I mean what are what would you do if you walking your dog or buying a fence was the only way for your dog to get exercise Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I say dog because I'm sure there's somebody that takes their cat to the dog park (laughs) but I'm for this for these purposes I'm only saying dogs as much as I love the park side the recreation part is really important too. The recreation part is where, you know, youth get to learn how to swim. Mm-hmm. That's really important because there's a lot of disparities in youth that don't know how to swim. Predominantly youth that may be of color or youth that are English as a second language speakers. I know we leave free life jackets out at Gray's Lake, even though they get stolen, because there were drownings because mm. there were people that were swimming and it's hard to ask for help if you don't speak the language mm. but this way we were able to make it a safe place at whatever cost and then you know those little activities like adult soccer league or you know youth football it keeps kids occupied during times they otherwise wouldn't have anything to do uh, it's those community centers that give people a place to cohabitate indoors as well as outdoors. Those shelters, that's where a lot of people have their family reunions mm-hmm. yeah. and their birthday parties. Absolutely. And that's important. It's just those little things that I, I think are worth continuously investing in and caring about that I think that's why people should really pay attention to the Parks and Rec system. I love the Parks and Rec board. Everyone there is so nice. And I'm not just saying that because I'm being recorded. <laughs> I, it just, it's so helpful. And you can approach them and let them know that there's something that you want to see changed. Mm-hmm. And they will work really hard to change it. Or they will work really hard to help you be able to change it, which is even more important. So what are you most excited about right now? I'm excited to start a community garden in all of the neighborhood parks. 
And neighborhood parks are generally parks that are within walking distance to the people that are in that neighborhood. So it would be, you know, the Union Park neighborhood would have its own garden, Highland Park, uh, things of that nature. We had a racial equity institute training for the parks and rec system and you're like what <laughs> why would they do that or where would they use that for because it's a park system but um there's a lot of things in terms of city planning that don't necessarily account for racial disparities because a lot of city planning and things like redlining did have an impact on the way neighborhoods are structured and issues like gentrification do change the layout and the landscape of, of neighborhoods as well. And so instead of waiting until we go with a project and then realize later on, wow, this is not particularly inclusive, we wanted to be proactive and saying, this is what racial disparities are. This is where they come from. This is how we can correct this. This is how we can be proactive and incorporate this into are designing and our plans for the parks and rec system from now on and I thought that was awesome because I was still relatively new and even though uh, racial justice is kind of my background it's not kind of it is like majority of my <laughs> background it even did not occur to me to bring that mindset necessarily to the parks and rec board but I was really pleased to see that happen and so one of the things that we brainstormed was that the parks system can be used to rectify certain disparities such as food deserts, which is a problem, and property values. And also not necessarily related to the community garden aspect, but also problems with crime in parks, but also not making them heavily policed, which makes it awkward. <laughs> You don't want to, even if you're not breaking the law, you don't necessarily want to sit there and be watched by the police all day. Mm -hmm. I was really taken away with um, the community garden aspect because I thought that was a great way to not only address like racial disparities, but also just we have a problem with poverty in this city and it's a kind of invisible poverty that's different than the poverty I saw when I grew up in California. Mm. Homeless people were everywhere. They were everywhere. I feel like that keeps it fresh. That lets you that lets you know that you have some serious work to do. And my mom was that kind of person, always trying to work on those kinds of issues. But here, a lot of our homeless population can be concentrated in one area of the city that's far away and very removed. And even not just homeless, but what rethinking what poverty is. You can have lights on, you can have a house, you can even have a car, but you still may not have food. Right. And a lot of the providing basic nutrition is falling on our charities. And like I said, that's a lot of volunteers, that's a lot of dedication, and they do as good of a job as can be expected in that situation because that's not really what they're meant for. They're supposed to be a last ditch effort, right. not necessarily some place where people get their three meals a day from. And so I wanted to come up with a community garden idea where people could 
not only take pride in growing their own vegetables and, and fruits, but also a place where they could come and get meals consistently that wouldn't put too much of a burden on the community in terms of, of resource. It's making a resource. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can provide as much of it as we're willing to make. And I think Des Moines is dedicated to that. They just need to know how. And they mm-hmm. just need a place to do it. Okay. And then there was just also the idea that a beautiful community garden can be so uplifting to more impoverished communities. Communities where the park may not be the best because people don't go there. And so the only activity that really happens there may be crime. With people constantly coming and growing vegetables and fruits and engaging in maintenance and also getting to know each other because it's a neighborhood Mm -hmm. park, you know, it may bring some of that beauty back and and assist with, you know, it's not going to be like your property value is going to go from 1,000 to to Mm 10,000, but it's, it's an improvement nonetheless. And I just thought it would be a really good thing. It's not a it's not a cure all, but I think it's a good way to start. I know that you know rather than have a on the surface structure that may provide you know that might may kind of conflict with Sight vertical lines. space mm-hmm. there. So I thought there was an underground greenhouse. The part that you would really see on the surface would be the top of it, and. Uh, and so you could go down in there and you'd be in the little underground greenhouse, but the soil as well as the compost would keep it well heated mm-hmm. and you would only really need to worry about the irrigation system. And, and so I think it would be a great way to have a, a greenhouse and community garden um, without necessarily taking too much vertical space on the surface. Also kind of minimize the damage people could probably do mm-hmm. because you, you may or may not know about it until you actually get there. Mm-hmm. So, and it's unfortunate, but we do have to think about all the ways that things can be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> we always end it with, what should we have for dinner tonight? <laughs> so maybe, maybe it's, you know, not something coming out of your garden, but from some of the fantastic volunteers with the Parks and Rec Board. I don't know if I'm the best person to ask for this. You know, I live for quesadillas. I'm also a microwave jockey. Uh, so this community garden would probably benefit me too. Favorite place to go? Blaze Pizza. Okay. I discovered it thanks to Marlou. Shout out to Marlou. Uh, I practically live there now. And you can make your own pizza. My favorite is like it's got the spicy red sauce because you mm. gotta have a little spice and you got the mozzarella cheese and clearly I've been here so many times I can make this pizza by heart <laughs> and you have some feta cheese Ooh. and then some pepperoni and some sausage and some bacon because I'm a meditarian <laughs> um, and just a little bit of cilantro not a lot and it is just the best Awesome. It, it just really is. You're making me hungry. I know. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being on our show, Jessica. We really enjoyed having you. Thank you for having me. And we're back. 
Uh, we want to say thank you again to Jessica Avant. That was a fantastic conversation. We really liked hearing all about the exciting new work around community gardens in Des Moines. Yeah. And that certainly sparked our curiosity, mm-hmm. and we both, from our own backgrounds, started to dive into what is the issue here in Des Moines, and starting to look at how other places have addressed it, and what is the actual problem. We had our episode about problem definition, mm-hmm. and food deserts certainly sound terrible. But to me, at least, that wasn't necessarily a problem statement. Right, like, you get rid of food deserts isn't necessarily a comprehensive approach. Yeah, and for me, especially more so lately, after hanging out with a lot of public health friends, I've been very focused on outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so a food desert isn't really an outcome. Like, if you eliminated all food deserts, but healthy foods still weren't affordable, the actual, like, health outcomes around hunger, vegetable intake, all of these other things still were poor, then we haven't fixed any sort of problem. So I started to look at this, and the more I read into it, the more I saw that food deserts are kind of a symptom. They're certainly not a good thing. And getting rid of food deserts certainly helps, but it's not enough in and of itself. Um, So I wanted to step back and look at problems more of uh, food insecurity, hunger, and... I don't actually know how to define it, but like healthy diet mm-hmm. kind of thing. So whether that's by vegetable in- and mm-hmm. right. And I know that this has been a focus of a lot of other organizations working in this arena, like Healthy Estate Initiative and mm-hmm. there's Hunger Free Polk County and Hunger Free Dallas County, tons of others. I don't often hear people talking about food insecurity outside of planning. I don't know if that's a term that you're familiar with. Until we started talking about it more for this episode, there were terms and nuances around this space that I would have said were synonymous with each other. Like, there's there's subtlety to it that I was not familiar with. Yeah, so food insecurity is when, let's say, uh, family members are concerned about where their groceries and meals will come from and how they will pay for them food access is certainly part of that of Mm -hmm. you know where will your groceries come from but although having something like a grocery store in your neighborhood eliminating that food desert would cut down on transportation costs and time Mm -hmm. spent which is very valuable but it's not the outcomes that we're really looking for so when I was looking at this I found on the opportunity plan which is United Way of Central Iowa They have this huge, fantastic coalition working on fighting poverty. So the Opportunity Plan is their sort of anti-poverty plan. And so they talk about food insecurity and also hunger. Mm -hmm. Um, So from their data polled, they found that nearly 20% of Central Iowans are food insecure. So 20% of Central Iowans are not sure where their next meal is going to come from and if they can afford it, Mm -hmm. which leads to skipping meals, buying less expensive, which is usually less healthy meals. Also seeing that over 28,000 Central Iowans are hungry. They're not getting enough food in their day-to-day life. They are experiencing hunger repeatedly. More than half of these are children. It's just heartbreaking. So this is, you know, absolutely a super pressing issue specifically for Central Iowa. And food deserts are a part of it, but I want to make sure that we also focus on this outcome-based as well. Because we've seen in other cities and regions that have really tackled this that putting out incentives so that a new store will locate in this neighborhood 
most people are already getting their food from grocery stores. It has reduced travel times, it has reduced transportation costs, but in terms of insecurity, hunger, health, it hasn't had that much of an impact. And so that's where this idea of community gardens has been really interesting to me, is that the research and the studies done on this, all of them are about shifting away from focusing on grocery stores and that kind of food desert and looking at these other ways to bring healthy foods into these communities and community gardens was definitely one of those Mm -hmm. so that was positive i was happy to see that but i still think that food deserts are an important thing to look at because you know we only have so many resources and food deserts especially when they incorporate income levels can give us that first step for identifying priority areas Mm -hmm. yeah so food deserts um not a perfect metric but something i was curious to explore a little more uh, after talking to jessica and and some of the conversations we had after that interview so i started putting my data scientist hat on and digging around a little bit and i wanted to see what could we get our hands on to validate the hypotheses that we have you know is there any data out there to back up the general sense that you know food access being an issue food security being an issue and also are the parks in Des Moines well placed to address that through community gardens if there were a community garden in every park so found a couple of really interesting resources. I'm definitely not an expert in the subject matter of these, um, so I'm probably missing some things. In fact, I found some others that I haven't that's, had time to dig into. Sure, and that's a good sort of uh, clarifying point for this. I'm also not an expert. <laughs> you know, I certainly have a background in more than just transportation, but that has yep. been my sole focus for a while. So there are people in this city, in this region, that know so much more than I do about yeah, this as we, well. we are lay people applying a particular set of skills <laughs> to, <laughs> to just a problem that interests us. And, and again, I think that's something, I, I wish everybody felt kind of comfortable doing that, right? Like, just because you're not an absolute expert doesn't mean you can't start to kind of scratch at the surface of things. And that can open up additional questions. So I I did find some really interesting sources. One thing, shout out to City of Des Moines uh, on their website. You can actually download GIS shapefiles if you want to do some mapping with data. I think there were like three main topics that they had and parks was one of them. So I was like, oh, yay, (laughs) That's, that's so convenient. Thank you, Des Moines. So I could actually get files that mapped the boundaries of all of the different parks in the city limits. And I was just kind of starting to map things um, using a program called R, which is uh, just the letter R, uh, pretty popular statistical tool that I'm actually not, like I'm really rusty in it, so this took me way longer than it should have. So I started just with that and was just kind of seeing like, oh look, here's all the parks in Des Moines and here are the neighborhoods. That was another one of the mapping products that they had. And I started layering in income and things like that. And then I was wondering, well, how am I gonna figure out how these relate to grocery stores and and access to food and trying to define food deserts and and identify those and I started thinking of like all the grocery store chains I knew and like trying to pull them up on Google Maps and like creating my own list because I wasn't finding just like lists of grocery stores that I could pull down 
But thankfully, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has a definition of food deserts that they use in their own research, and they have GIS data. To put that together, they took all of the retailers that accept SNAP or food stamps. I tried to pull this down thinking I'd be smart and like point map all of the grocery stores, but I didn't think about like places like Dollar General and like Quick Trip also take food stamps, but we would not generally consider those to be sufficient providers of food. So what the USDA did was that they cross-referenced that with a proprietary list that I think they purchase of different marketing data to get the actual grocery stores and supermarkets to whittle that list down to places that accept food stamps and have a full offering of fresh foods and groceries. So props to them, that's a really cool data set and something I was not able to produce on my own. The downside to it is that it is kind of broad so you can't get it any more narrow than the census tract level, which is just covering a bit of a larger area than we would maybe want. But it was really interesting to combine all of those things and see that according to the USDA's definition of people living about a half a mile or more from a major grocery store and being low income, that quite a lot of Des Moines is considered a food desert. Mm -hmm. um, and then to also layer on where those parks are and see that a lot of the food deserts, most of them, do have at least one park in there. And so if you know you can have a community garden, then maybe that can help alleviate at least the access issue, if not the security issue. Or, or maybe the security issue too. The current population survey that the census does like in between census years does um, do some surveys on food security and I like, just found that data so I haven't dug into it, but it's just kind of interesting to see like, oh hey, yeah, we do have these food deserts and it looks like where the parks are placed could actually really help alleviate that issue. Mm -hmm. And we'll have that, the map that I put together, um, you can see that on our website at blbdpod.com and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, so it was interesting to look through this map, see that there are clear areas where community gardens could fill the need. And looking through research and evidence-based studies for this, we've seen that community gardens do have a very positive impact on a lot of these outcomes. One of the ones I was looking through was sort of a participatory study that had 38 different families enrolled, and they looked at how a community garden impacted their uh, food security and healthy food intake. They found that for both adults and children, the frequency of vegetable intake increased. Mm. Um, they found that the frequency of worrying that food would run out before money was available also decreased. Mm. So it had sort of this impact on the healthy outcome side of things, but also on that food security side of things. They're not in the business of drawing sort of broad conclusions from that, but when I look at that and when I look at how it relates to other aspects of planning, if you introduced a grocery store, habits wouldn't change. They would be traveling to a different place that would be closer so they would save a little bit of time and money, but you're still going to a grocery store. Mm -hmm. But if you can add in this community garden, which creates a new set of habits and a new sort of interaction than a grocery store does, it can start to change your other habits. Mm -hmm. I think that community gardens can be a really positive strategy for addressing 
food security, healthy food intake, and these other things. Because one, yes, these are food deserts and it's important to have an option closer to home, but also it is not just a substitute of one grocery store for another. It is sort of a new... It's actually better than previous habits, perhaps. Yeah, um, and it can just help reshape your daily, weekly routine in a different way. But it was really exciting to hear about her approach as part of the Parks and Rec board, you know, using your wheelhouse, Mm -hmm. if you will, to start to address a piece of this issue. You know, you don't have to be an urban planner or public administrator or an elected official to do this. You can bite off a chunk of an issue and start to work on it in your own way. Absolutely. And I think that's kind of what we're doing here too, right? Like we're not necessarily experts in every facet of everything here, but you know, maybe we can use the, the tools in our toolboxes. We won't necessarily capture the whole thing, but maybe we meet the people along the way because we're asking the right questions and we just get that much further along. So Absolutely. And yeah. I think a big role for me as a planner, one of the biggest things I can do is create platforms for people. It takes a lot of different perspectives and skills and knowledge to solve any of these problems. And so I'm really excited to hear about other people as they've got involved in these issues and what these different organizations are all doing to make Des Moines and greater Des Moines a better place to be. Yeah. So let us know what you're doing to make Des Moines a better place or questions that you have about how the community works. Um, And we will continue to put this big old puzzle together. Yeah. You can send us an email at brightlightsbigdata at gmail.com. You can contact us on Twitter at blbdpod. Thanks again to Jessica Avant for her excellent insight. Always a pleasure to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And join us for our next episode, uh, which should be an interview with City Council member Josh Mandelbaum. We were very excited to talk to him. Yeah, we're sorry about the delay in getting this episode out, but as I'm sure many of you know, and maybe many of you experienced, uh, we got a lot of flooding Yeah. this past week. Best of luck to all of you who are dealing with that. If you're wondering what you should do and you're in the Des Moines city limits, make sure you call 211. Um, the city does have a hotline for getting an inspector out to your home to help assess the damage and advise on what you can do. And um, that actually also makes you eligible for curbside pickup of your storm-damaged garbage. So if you don't have a vehicle to get it out to the dump or something like that, um, that's one way you can take care of it. Yep. So you'll hear back from us again in a couple weeks. And we're looking forward to our next conversation. 